0: This is episode 34 of the No Limits Podcast. Welcome back, everybody. The podcast is brought to you by Tangle Free Waterfowl. You work hard all year anticipating the small window of time you get to spend in the blind. Do not spend that time being disappointed by gear failure. Tangle Free delivers gear that functions exactly as it's designed to every time year after year. Head over to TangleFree.com for panel blinds, layout blinds, decoys, and accessories. And because you are a valuable No Limits subscriber, you'll get free shipping on your entire order. Just enter promo code PASSION at checkout. You guys are probably stocking up on their new skinnies, their new Canada Goose skinnies, or you're buying new blinds, you're buying new decoys. Think of how much you can save if you didn't have to pay shipping. So at TangleFree.com, promo code PASSION at checkout for free shipping we'd also like to welcome a brand new sponsor to of pursuit and the no limits podcast traeger grills is the original wood fire grill why do we love and i do mean love our traeger grills the taste versatility ease and biggest one that i'm really starting to appreciate is consistency it's not often that i do something right but when i do i when I find a recipe that I just absolutely – I nailed some ribs this last weekend. Oh, St. Louis-style ribs. They were – they were incru- – and the thing is, when I find a, re- a recipe that works, I don't have to – I can replicate that same – those same results time in and time out over and over and over again. So, we love them. Head over to com. You're going to be seeing – uh, we have their tailgate model too, their tailgater so that when we're on the road, we don't have to, uh, we go to a lot of places that does not have good food. I've mentioned one of them before. I'm not going to do it again, but we don't have to, uh, we don't have to miss our Traegers when we're on the road. Cause now we can just pack up our tailgater and, uh, bring them with. So it's like being at home. You don't have to sacrifice you know good food when you're on the road so head over to com for pellet grills accessories recipes and really cool lifestyle videos sign up for a a, a traeger shop class it's really really cool um, folks we love traeger grills and we know that you will too go to traegergrills.com today traegergrills.com the podcast is also brought to you by Revelation Outdoors Waterfowl Ministry. The Revelation Outdoors mission is to help spread the gospel of Christ through waterfowl hunting. We leverage several different mediums of delivery methods to do that, either through our social media pages and our Passion of pursued short film series that is produced by Rome and Motion Culture Media. We are in the final stages of releasing a video-based men's small group study also that will combine, uh, combine video presentation with some of our best duck hunting episodes, uh, goose hunting episodes, and an easy to follow leader's guide, if you can follow an outline and press play and watch a video, you can lead a group of your duck hunting buddies through a study of God's Word. We were we've been asked several times. Uh, I love what you guys do. Do you have any resources that uh, I can start a small group? You know, especially for for people who don't aren't really comfortable either leading or comfortable with their knowledge of scripture, this is perfect because all you have to do is have the leader's guide, put guys in front of a TV, hit play, and those two resources do all of the work for you. So if you're interested in uh, some of our men's small group study resources, if you're interested in starting a Revelation Outdoors chapter, we've had several people reach out to us about, hey, how can I start a chapter? What does that look like? You can connect with us on social media or on our Revelation Outdoors website, revelationoutdoors.com. Okay. I'm really excited about our guest today. Um, as I started seeing more and more cut-down calls, both advertised and being used in the field. I began paying more and more attention to who's making some really nice cut-down calls. At the same time, I ran across these super interesting short film episodes on YouTube that I thought were produced very well, were very interesting from both a conceptual perspective as well as a storyline, and were just engaging from beginning to end those short films were produced by rolling thunder productions which is also part of rolling thunder game calls so i started diving into their website their calls and and just listening to different sound files and um, especially their models of cut down calls then dave bowen from southwoods duck club we've had him on the podcast before you, you guys know said uh man you really you know who you should have on the guest is Spence Hall, Spence Alford from Rolling Thunder. He makes awesome calls. He has a great testimony that just speaks of faith and, and trust. And so all these verticals kind of crossed at the same time. And I reached out and talked to Spence and invited him on. And if you guys, have you ever had one of those first time conversations where after the first 30 minutes you feel like you've known that person for most of your life Mo- most of the parts of your life that you want to remember um I that's that's exactly the way i felt and i knew we would have a really interesting and engaging conversation Uh spence and i talk a lot about his faith and journey to and through seminary we talk about the the genesis of what would become Rolling Thunder game calls. We talk about not only the, the lineup of waterfall calls, but also the Rolling Thunder line of, of turkey calls as well. We had a really interesting discussion about social media and just where we both see or sense our sport heading. Uh, in the near future Um, and it's it was a good conversation so it's a it's a positive you know a lot of people are really negative on social media and think that the internet's ruined this and social media has ruined that the internet and social media as we talk about Spence and I talk about is really just a thing it's a tool I mean a a hammer is a bad thing if you use it in the wrong way and I think that the internet and social media is exactly the same way so Um, We had a great discussion, and I would really recommend that you all take a few minutes after the the podcast. Click on the social media links in the show notes below. Uh, Follow Rolling Thunder, their pages, and watch their short films. I really enjoy their content as well as their messages. So here we go with episode 34 with Spence Halford of Rolling Thunder Game Calls. All right, all right. How you doing, man? I'm good. How are you today, dude? Veterans Day. Yeah, um, it's a great day. Thank all the veterans for their for their service. You know, I get thanked because I'm I'm a Navy veteran, so I get thanked. I'm like, dude, I had a blast, man. Thank y'all for paying me to do it. You <laughs> know, <laughs> that's right. That's but right. um, so Spencer Halford is on with us from uh from Rolling Thunder, and dude, I know how busy you are, so I appreciate you taking time to to jump yep. on with us, man.
1: No big deal. It's an honor.
0: Hey, um, so we're gonna talk a lot about the Rolling Thunder brand. We're gonna talk a lot about calls. There's a a ton of stuff that I want to get your perspective on, um, with just kind of the state of hunting now versus like when you and I were kids growing up. It's completely different. Uh, But before we do that, give us some. Just give us a background on on Spencer, who you are, and how how you wound up doing what you're doing now.
1: Um so my name is spence um i'm from i grew up in Memphis, Tennessee, and um my dad learned to duck hunt when he was i don't know probably in his mid mid twenties he didn't grow up uh hunting, and uh he and my uncle got introduced by some friends of theirs and um so you know as a little guy duck hunting was kind of new to my dad and, um, uh, they were just trying to figure it out. And, um, I guess that led to just, I was eat up with it and probably mostly cause I wanted to be like my dad more mm-hmm. than anything else, you know, yeah. <laughs> so you just learn to love the stuff that the people you love care about. Mm-hmm. And, um, um, I, somehow I guess when I was, uh, in my late twenties, i kind of birthed into a business. We, a couple of buddies and I, um, fell in love with the whole concept of a cut-down old and started piddling with them and um, had some friends that, an, one particular older guy that um, just could blow the snot out of one. And hmm. he was clearly better at everything he did in the duck woods and everybody else. And, and it was, I mean, it didn't take a rocket scientist to figure out what his advantage was. Um, and I can remember us talking about it, it was like, we don't really know what he's doing different, but it's obvious he's doing something different <laughs> with a call because those ducks, uh, they don't circle. They're not decoy shy. They're not yeah. old shy. They don't circle five, six, seven, ten times like they do for us. He's doing something um, different, and it's right. Yeah, that's right. And so you started picking his brain, and he's a typical old guy that was like, you know, where did you shoot him? You know, right in the face. You know, I mean, <laughs> He wasn't giving up any secrets, um, and, and he kind of – And he never really helped with a lot of details, but um, he helped just enough to kind of keep us plodding along. And, man, one thing led to another. We started messing with ults and I started learning how to cut them and just Mm. trial and error. And we found one that we really liked. And one of my best friends at the time was uh, in the orthopedic appendage um, business. Like, he built joints and hips and knees and things for people that needed new appendages and he said um you know it'd be pretty cool if we could injection mold those things and i was like that would be more than really cool that would be awesome and so yeah. we kind of we piddled with that and ended up with a injection mold and one thing led to another and we started selling duck calls and just kind of have grown it a little bit every year since and uh 2020 will be our um August of 2020 will be our 10 year anniversary so wow um it's kind of been a whirlwind <laughs> since then
0: yeah no kidding um now and we'll get into it a little bit later but i know that um i know that your faith had to play a lot a big big role um and i'm always you know what we do is everything we do is from a ministry perspective from the sure. revelation outdoors you know point of view um talk about how your faith um got because a lot, you know unlike um unlike a lot of people i i wasn't saved at a young age and i really didn't have a a perspective of god is working in my life whether i know it or not and trusting him that where he has me because you you've had some You've had some, some plans that you've had to change, too, on your way to yeah. 10 years of making duck calls. So I think it would be really interesting to um, hear a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, I mean, so I, I grew up in a Christian home, and we were taught to be Christians at really, really young age. Um, and so I, I can honestly say I really don't remember a time of not knowing Christ is my Savior. Um, I walked down an aisle and prayed a prayer as a little kid. And then spent the rest of my life trying to figure out what you know the gospel means and what salvation means, and hmm. um, and, and and so, in a lot of ways, that I mean, it's a different experience. A guy like you probably looks at a guy like me and thinks, Well, that'd be nice to not have a bunch of you know, uh, to, to not have like a past or something along those lines. And a guy like me looks at a guy like you and is like, well, at least you know what it was like to not be a Christian. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because yeah. because I feel like I've spent most of my life uh, trying to live up to the kind of what people expect of you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's a it's a different walk of faith. Um, one's not better than the other or worse. It's just you know we operate, we come from a different a different place. And so, um, how's my faith affected this? I mean,
0: uh, or vice you know, versa?
1: Yeah, I mean in a, in a lot of ways, but. Um, primary one being that the call company was born in the bottom of a apartment complex in St. Louis, Missouri. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in seminary and had no idea why I was in seminary. I just really, Lindy and I both really felt like God was calling us to leave the current occupation that we were doing in the mortgage business mm-hmm. um, and go to seminary, and I didn't really think that was going to end up with me being a preacher, but I, I didn't know. Yeah. Um, and so we, you know, as I, I know that sounds kind of um, like spiritual hocus pocus that we didn't really know why, but, but we felt strongly that we knew we were supposed to pack up and leave. And so we did and lived in St. Louis for two years. And, and in that time, I had a lot of free time to um, in the afternoons because I was – basically like in a, you know, I was in a master's program. And so I went to class in the morning had lots of time in the afternoon to study, but I, I really wasn't doing a lot of other work. I, I was, a I was selling beers, a beer man at Cardinal stadium, in St. Louis. Um, and so I, I didn't have to work 40 hours to pay my bills. You know, we were living on, you know, dirt cheap, craft macaroni and cheese budget. Um, and, um, uh, and, and I wasn't working a bazillion hours. So I had lots of time and I, I, kind of had a little desk down there in the bottom of that apartment, and I, that's really where I learned how to cut an old was just messing with them. And I, I had some that some friends had given me. and Some showed me that other guys had cut, some really good ones. And, um, and you know, you just have time on your hands. And, and in a situation like that where you're studying Hebrew and Greek and trying yeah. to learn, you know, the, a difficult um, academic, you know, trying to accomplish something academically, like I really needed – something to do to kind of get my mind off of studying because i'm not a i was not like a studyaholic um i i was not the guy that was in the library all the time and so (laughs) duck calls kind of became something for me that was like a break from yeah um the from from my studies and and um and then kind of in seminary I, i i i realized that duck calls and duck hunting was really something that brought people together in groups and um and i and as i was kind of trying to figure out what my place in the world was and my calling my job all those kind of things um you know I, I felt like that that i needed to part of growing the kingdom of christ part of being a part of the the expansion of the kingdom was taking my faith into all the other areas of my life and uh, yeah. and so it, it I guess all those things together kind of manifest itself into a um, little more details, but into the call company. And yeah. um, I mean, I, at the same time, I really was trying to support my family, put food on the right. table, you know, and pay my bills. So right. it wasn't, I, I can't sit here and tell you that I started making duck calls as a ministry. It wasn't yeah. first and foremost a ministry. It was more of an extension of who I am and, um, and an endeavor to try to, you know, support my family, so yeah. build a
0: business. You know what I learned is that the Hebrews were the first ones to cut down an old. <laughs>
1: were they really?
0: <laughs> no, I don't know where that came from actually. Um but it's you know it's funny you mention that about seminary because so I was saved December 11th of 2010. Um and I just remember after that Uh, Like I've talked to, I've talked to a lot of, you know, we talk in a lot of, we speak at a lot of different wild game dinners and things like that. And I'll talk to guys who, who doubt that process, even though they have, um, they have decided that they do believe, which is the only prerequisite for your salvation is to believe that Christ is who he says he is and he accomplished what he set out to accomplish. Sure but they're looking for some physical, like, I don't feel any different or I don't, I don't feel safe, man. There's a lot of time, like getting in when I'm in traffic, trying to get to my office, I don't feel saved. <laughs> um, right. <laughs> and, and so a lot of guys are looking for some physical, uh, man, uh, you know, manifestation from a spiritual event. And so I, I never, so I didn't, have that, but the one thing that I did have was a burning desire just to know more and more and more and more, and I thought that just it's funny you say seminary because that's that's kind of where I was. I'm like, uh, man, I want to know like the ends. I want to know why there's a comma there. I want to know when Paul says therefore, like what is he therefore what? So you got to go back three three chapters and and read, you know, what his conclusion. And so I thought that seminary was the place that I was going to hmm. do that. And the more I looked into it, um, and this is this is just Joey's experience, okay? Um, the more I, I see, like when I look at the curriculum, there was less and less <clears throat> theology and apologetics, and there was more and more here's how you market and here's how you run it as a business. Hmm. And I'm like, man – that's, and then I, I talked to my pastor and he said, well, you have the only textbook you need. <laughs> and, and, and knowing that textbook scripture and knowing how to communicate that to people, not in a way that is, you know, overbearing or, um, a lot of times it's, it, and it comes easy for me, but a lot of times it was just easy to play dumb and say like, you, you go to church a lot, man, and you probably know more than I do. Like, what does this mean? And and just get people to, it's way more effective to get people to explain what they believe than to try and change their mind about what you believe. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's, and long story short, I thought that I was being called to seminary and what I was really being called for was just to be a disciple and be um, the ambassador for Christ that I'm supposed to be. It doesn't necessarily mean that, I have to go get this formal education because like you, I, I didn't think I was going to be a preacher. I just wanted to be effective. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know,
1: I, you know my, my seminary experience was definitely different than that. I, the seminary that I went to was not geared toward the business of church at all. Right. Um, um, and I think the number one thing that I took away from seminary was probably directly opposed to what your pastor told you. Yeah. Um, I, I understand what your pastor is saying. You know, this textbook is all you need. Talking about the Bible, the Bible is all we need. You know, Martin Luther said "Sola Scriptura," right? Mm-hmm. But but there is a part of human nature that thinks me and my brain and this Bible are enough. Like mm-hmm. I can figure this out. Mm-hmm. And 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 I guess you you have to kind of define what's enough. Is that enough to um, to save you? To for, for you to you know. Ex- find salvation in Jesus Christ? Sure it is. Yeah. I mean the, the, the work of the Holy Spirit is absolutely effective um for you to read the scripture and for you to find faith. Um but is is our brain and that Bible enough for us to understand fully the message that God is communicating to us? Absolutely not. I mean there's a whole bunch about the Bible that, that we have to apply a lot of academics to because it was written thousands of years ago. And so for me yeah. One of the things that happened in seminary was I I was a snotty-nosed church kid who felt like I knew all the answers to everything <laughs> and all of a sudden I got smoked right in the nose with you don't know anything. Yeah. You know, and and um and I and I only bring that up because I think that it's valuable for us as American men, assuming that that men are I'm sure you don't have a real strong contingency of middle-aged uh duck hunter wives that are listening to this maybe you do oh man
0: that's a different market
1: (laughs) but as men we're we're wired to think that if we're bold if we're confident if we're sure of ourselves that good things happen and i think it's healthy for us to approach the bible with with a wide open mind and a very humble heart that says i need to be taught instead of me reading this and telling everybody like what this means you know what oh, I'm saying? absolutely um and I, i'm not I'm not in any way trying to put words into your mouth i know that's not what you were saying i just the way i heard that it kind of brought to mind for me that's what seminary did was seminary I, for the first time you know i'm reading the old testament and studying in those classes and i'm thinking i never even thought about what it would be like to be an israelite yeah and so to to learn to interpret scripture through the lens of the audience that would have been listening to it. I mean, that was, I'm, I'm a yeah. pretty proud, arrogant, self-sufficient, knowledgeable <laughs> human. Like that was, I needed that in my life. Well, what, what <laughs> you're
0: talking about is context mm-hmm. that that's, that's what, um, and that's what I get so much out of our Sunday studies when we go is that I, I don't get religion, meaning you doing things to you know impress God or save yourself, what I get out of it is context and you know one of the things that that my pastor told me a long time ago is that the not all of the Bible was written to you, but it is written it is all for you um you know when you go back and you you read the prophets that those messages were specific to to yep um Israel. And yep. but but the lessons there, if you keep them in context, have application to to us. Um so while not everything in scripture was written to you, because it you know, that, that that there was no United States, and then you read towards the end there's no United States either. So I hate to hate to break that to people, but while it's not written to you, it is all written for your edification. Yeah. And that's, that's right. what I—that's what I think you just described perfectly—is—is is it gives you context of, you know, here's the—you have to consider the audience, what the audience was going through, who the author was, the timing, uh, what the language meant, absolutely. Um, yeah. And when I looked into it, there was less of that in more sure. marketing. So speaking sure. of, speaking of, I want to talk about the Rolling Thunder brand first of all. Yeah. Where did the name? come from i'm always fascinated (laughs) by names and how they get their genesis so
1: yeah real simple um so the old man that i was kind of describing um he is an outfitter in canada and he calls himself rolling thunder waterfowl guide corporation and i thought that was the coolest yeah um so i just asked him can i can i steal that name he said (laughs) of course be honored Um, that's awesome if you ask him where it came from, he would tell you that two two things. One, he wanted it to be his reputation. He wanted he wanted when people heard a big, you know, rolling thunder out through the woods, mm. he wanted them to know that was him. That's cool. Um, you know what? Big it's funny Molly. you say that
0: because that's what I think when I see that name.
1: Um, and then it, and then the second thing he would tell you is that um, and I, maybe this is the first thing, but Um, so operation rolling thunder was a colossal booby trap in Vietnam Mm -hmm. where, um, where the U S troops, um, surrounded this big Valley basically. And I'm probably going to butcher this part of the story because I'm not a historian, but basically they, but they, uh, they, they surrounded this big Valley and led, um, a whole bunch of Viet Cong troops down into this Valley and then just unleashed hell on them. And, um, and and so they called it Operation Rolling Thunder. It was a big covert operation, um, and and so I, he, as he tells the story, he was uh, watching this on a documentary and thought, you know, that's what I want to be. <laughs> I want <would, laughs> to be known by that. <laughs> you just
0: substitute greenheads for Viet Cong, and then you that's right. That's right. Now, so we, you know, naturally, I focus a lot on duck and goose calls, but mm-hmm. you know. You guys are known just as well, or I don't want to assume that. How much of your business comes from your turkey line versus your waterfowl?
1: Yeah, um, it's it's an even mix, and it's, mm-hmm. it's evolving and changing as time goes by, primarily because as we grow as a company and have more opportunities, there, the, the turkey market is bigger in terms of just sheer overall economic dollars than the waterfowl market the primary hmm. reason for that is because it's 50 states mm-hmm. and basically everywhere in the country in the continental united states has turkeys within yeah. an hour or so it's very very rare that you find a place other than just super high altitude in the mountains and a few things but pretty much everybody's within a couple hours of quality turkey hunting if they want that's not true for waterfowl there's lots of states that have Subpar or non-existent waterfowl hunting, you know, and so um, the 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 retail store uh, economy of turkey calls is significantly larger than it is for duck calls. But the duck call industry has this impressive thing called summertime that makes people really want it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Turkey season doesn't. Turkey Mm -hmm. season usually starts in March or early April, pretty much everywhere in the country. It starts within about a four week period of time. Right. And, um, and basically the only lead up to Turkey season is this crummy month called February Mm -hmm. where the days are short. The month is short. And most Turkey hunters are also waterfowl or deer hunters. And so Mm -hmm. you're kind of got the hangover of the holidays and, um, and whatever season you just wrapped up and your spouse has kind of, you know, had enough. And so, Turkey season buildup is different than duck season buildup. Duck season, you know, you've been June, July, August, September. It's hot as heck. And um, you're like ready for the first frost, ready for the um, seasons to change. And so then that rolls into October and November. By the time duck season rolls around, you've had seven months, a solid six to seven months to think about it and what you're going to do different. So they're very different. I would Hmm. say product mix-wise, our... Our business is a probably 60% waterfowl and mm-hmm. 40% turkey. Um, and that's that's changed. It used to probably be 80% waterfowl, 20% turkey. But we approach turkey different. So I've always, until probably a year ago, I've approached turkey um, as a retail direct um, business for us. So by that I mean we didn't package our turkey calls for stores to sell. We just sold them directly over the internet to Mm the end end user duck calls we've been the other way around we've been a a dealer distributor big box oriented business from day one Uh, Mm -hmm. that was that was how we designed it so so they're they're different um in in all those ways but turkeys are definitely growing and and it's a in the last 10 years the waterfowl industry has exploded yeah, And in the last three years, I've seen turkey hunting really explode. Um, the, the popularity of it, the cool factor, all that kind of stuff. I mean, there's there a lot of people that are turkey hunting right now that didn't turkey hunt five years ago, which is yeah. awesome. I mean, we need that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That surprised me that the, the market, like I would have thought, and there's a couple of, I guess, maybe variables as to why your turkey market, as you just said, is a... Uh, there's more opportunity there than the waterfowl market um, and I have to and correct me if I'm wrong but I have to think that because I just I don't see as many call companies from a turkey perspective as I do waterfowl and I think yep. because there's a lot of guys that can that can maybe turn a lathe and slap an, uh, an echo insert into something and call themselves a custom call maker there are very few Guys like you and guys like Josh Raggio and that. Well, do- now
1: hold on just a second. In fairness to Josh Raggio, you can't put me in the same sentence with him. <laughs> uh, we are we are not on the same playing field. He is in a league of his own. Yeah. uh So <laughs> just- I've, I've been knowing. <laughs> Josh,
0: I've shared a tree with Josh many many times <laughs> at a little schoolhouse camp we had in the Mississippi Delta, and and this is before he started making his own calls. Sure. Um, <clears throat> But you, you are what you're saying is is correct, and and he's yeah he's he's an well, artist. I yeah, feel like he,
1: I'm more of a utilitarian, and well, uh, I I I would really like to think that I'm an artist, but I, I could piddle with something for days and days and days, and he could he's a hundred times more talented than me. Well, I guess minutes. I guess
0: where I guess where I was going with that is there's a lot of guys that can make something sound like a duck call Uh um that don't take the time to try and it's the you know the the inserts that don't take the time to turn their inserts and uh, like if well i want a call that sounds like this i don't think a lot of guys that make quote-unquote custom calls have any idea of how to make a get a particular sound i just i don't know man i've seen too many of them that you know, yeah, it's a. I got some of them on the shelf behind me, right here. That, you know, oh, it's a custom call, dude. It's an echo insert, like, <laughs> like a hundred other ones that I've, I've seen. Yeah. Um, and so, I think that there's more. Is there more competition, like specifically for the calls, in well, the there, waterfall world?
1: Uh, yes, yes, and no. I mean, there's so they're just two completely different businesses. There's very, very little overlap. I'll mm-hmm. give you some different, some similarities and differences between the two. Of them. One of the biggest differences between waterfowl and turkey is that turkey hunters, for the most part, um, a lot of turkey hunters utilize their calls like they're disposable. Mm. So, I mean, most guys, unless you're a contest yelper, they buy you know, about a hundred dollars worth of Yelpers every spring or anywhere between 20 and a hundred dollars. You know, they they'll go by the store, they'll pick up a three pack or a five pack or four or five of their favorite cuts from, and a lot of times they'll go down the shelf and like, if they're, if they like a bat wing, man, they'll pick up two bat wings from Woodhaven and two mm. from a Primos and a couple from Flexstone. And, you mm-hmm. know, if I'm there, a couple of mine and they'll, and they'll put them all in the bag and then they'll start running them and they'll find one that's their favorite. And, one year they might blow one and one year they might blow the next. Um, Hmm. And so there's kind of this, there's this side of turkey hunting, psychological purchasing behavior. Yeah, (laughs) You can say that that's, that's sort of a more of a disposable thing as opposed to like waterfowl hunters, you know, a guy like you or a guy like me, I mean, I own hundreds of calls, Mm -hmm. hundreds, literally I've, I've spent a lot of time collecting them, but I haven't collected in five or six years. And I still have gobs and gobs of duck calls. So I buy them. I'd never have any intention of probably using them all. I mean, I I use I go back to the same one. But we're all kind of looking for like that next call that's going to be that piece that we carry around for the next 30 years. We pass down like there's so there's kind of a there's a more there's a different element of lore and history and tradition in the duck call you know, stuff than there is with turkey calls. Now, having said that, you do have some high-end custom turkey calls, some collector items, um, but, I mean, like pot calls, yeah. slates, glasses, they, they get broken pretty easily. You right. know, turkey hunting's is a pretty active sport, so you end up banging them around and dislodge your soundboard. I mean, just stuff happens. Yeah, um, And so you don't have nearly as much of a, like, this is, you know, this is grandpa's old uh, blah, blah, right, blah. Right, I mean, like, right. There's not quite as much of that in the turkey call sector as there is in duck calls. Um, and so that kind of lends to a different mentality, not to mention the price point's different. You know, I mean, you, you can't find an acrylic duck call for under $100 really mm-hmm. to speak of in a store. And if you try to sell somebody a $75 turkey call, they look at you like you're <laughs> a three-headed monster. I mean, um, and, and so... I, Even if it's nice and ornate, there's just kind of the psychology of what they're doing is different. Duck hunters don't mind spending money at all. Mm. I mean, that's why I mean just look at the price of decoys, man. Oh my god. I mean, fifteen years ago that it it was you know, sixty bucks it'd get you a dozen or however many you wanted and and now, you know, you can't buy half a dozen for a hundred and fifty. And they're fully flocked. And they're, I mean, the kind of stuff they're selling on the retail shelves right now are the kind of things that as a kid, they were auctioning off at DU banquets. Right. (laughs) I mean, like my dad had these on our mantle over the fireplace. Yeah. Now they're in Um, a bag
0: in the back of the boat going down
1: the highway. Exactly. And they're slotted bags. I mean, are you kidding me? Oh, yeah. So so there's the psychology of duck hunters. They're not afraid to spend money. I mean, not just a lease, but all the gear and the, I mean, even the bottom, Tier waiters now are three hundred bucks, and turkey is yeah, just I, not. Yeah, that way. you know what?
0: It's funny you said, because I remember, like, when you know you'd get a pair. Well, when I finally stepped up like twenty years ago and bought a good pair of lacrosse, like brush tough or whatever mm-hmm. it was, for two hundred and eighty nine dollars, I was like, oh my gosh, I cannot <laughs> believe! And now what Sitka waiters are eight hundred bucks a pair.
1: Right. 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 Okay. Right,
0: you know, and and you know, I, I get it—the serviceability and everything else. And I mean, I, I guess as with anything, you can you can justify it. But yeah, I it seems like the duck hunting crowd is a little more.
1: um Yeah, it's a completely different psychology. Yeah. You you don't have any gear wars in turkey hunting. None. No. <laughs> I mean, it's like everybody wears cotton pants, six yeah. pocket pants, and yeah. a button up shirt, like and and it's more of a what camo pattern do you wear that's more of the war than man these pants are great they're waterproof they're blah 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 like no i mean turkey hunting is not a technical gear sport yeah um like duck hunting is um duck hunting you got gear wars between all the brands and fierce yeah. loyalty and it's not so much about camouflage pattern as it is functionality and the technical aspects of the gear so there's just a there's a giant difference between those two and um, but I, the technical I, aspect
0: of it, I, I think from a duck hunting water, just say waterfowl perspective, look, wearing some pretty extreme, you know, you, you can go from a relatively mild day to hunting in sleet. And oh, so, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I'm not knocking that at all. I, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's reality. It's but warranted. You know, tur- yeah. I mean, turkey hunting, you're not even wearing long underwear most of the time or a jacket. I mean, you just kind of go out there and do it and you're, you're done, you know, it's not a. It's not a long sport, and and there's not really any weather shifts that can mm-hmm. threaten your <laughs> yeah threaten your life. I'm just scared of snakes, dude. <laughs> me too. To I'm t- are you really? Oh my gosh! Yeah,
0: dude. I I don't like fishing with worms. I mean, I'm telling you, <laughs> anything that doesn't have shoulders that can move across the ground, and there's especially not- in in that area of the delta where I just and and you're a, you're a flooded timber guy like me, yeah. so. Um, man, those cotton miles, and and I got to where you know you can smell them long before you see them, and uh-huh. it's just oh man. <laughs> but hey, talking about so the interesting trend. How big? So your ten year anniversary is coming up. Uh-huh. Um, social media, I think, has changed not just how companies market or kind of kind of kind of try to ensure brand loyalty where you can. Uh, cause mm-hmm. we talked a little bit about that. You know, you pick up a call from this one, that one, this one, that one. And, and I think that brand loyalty, and it's one of the things, you know, we do a lot of work with tangle free mm-hmm. and I see a like brand loyalty with those guys is super, super, super important. Mm-hmm. But how has, how big was social media when you guys started versus leveraging it now? Like how did that, how did you manage that? I guess.
1: Um, I mean, I don't, I feel like I don't have many good ideas. I I tend to learn everything the hard way by messing it up. Um, <laughs> when we first started, we built the company around big box distribution. I really wanted to create a price point for my products that would allow them to be sold on the retail store shelf. And I felt right. like that that was a more viable marketing opportunity mm-hmm. than uh, a direct-to-consumer. Nobody was good doing direct-to-consumer back then. Mm-hmm. Um, and now that's kind of shifted. Um, the the retail sporting goods stores are struggling to stay relevant because at your fingertips on the Internet and on Amazon and all yeah. these different, you know, smartphones, that, you know, y- you can have gear, quality gear, and whatever color and style and shape and size you want it at your doorstep tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that that's definitely changed – the landscape um and and i think that um for the most part that's been a good change for my business um i don't know the jury's still out on whether or not that's been a good change for society (laughs) yeah um i'm not a hundred percent on board with it's ruining the world around us like some people are Mm -hmm. but i'm not a hundred percent against it either i'm still kind of looking at it going i don't know what this has done to to us but it's changed it's changed the world that we live in dramatically i mean i saw a thing the other day that said 20 years ago the internet was an escape from reality and and today (laughs) the internet is like the out being outdoors is an escape from the internet. yeah (laughs) you know (laughs) um and it's funny how that shifted that way but um from a marketing standpoint, the internet and social media, particularly for us, has been a way to connect with our audience mm-hmm. and to offer something for them to hang their hat on that was more than just a product. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a very conscious decision that we made about five years ago. Um, we we realized that... Um, duck hunters particularly are really brand loyal people Mm -hmm. and you can't just give them a good widget um you kind of have to you have to build a brand that people can get on board with and and so it's got to have your brand's got to not just be product related it's got to have a feel and it's got to have characters and it's got to have a value system and it's got to be an embodiment of something you know it's yeah. kind of got to have its own life if yeah real. um
0: yeah i think what's interesting about that is um the companies that do it really really well um like the tangle freeze like the sitkas like um uh, you know there, there's a there's a bunch of companies but they focus more on the lifestyle around yep. the product yep um and the authenticity of how that product fits in or helps buttress or support that lifestyle. That's right. Rather than look at these piles and piles and piles of ducks that, you know, we wouldn't have killed them if uh, we wouldn't have had our, I mean, people are smarter than that. And I think focusing on the, it it's the lifestyle that I think creates the brand loyalty. I mean, look, look at Yeti yep. who, who, Who 20, 25 years ago would have been, would have thought that we would have been paying, you know, four or $500 for an ice chest. Yep. But now, if you don't have it, it's like you're not, you know, you're cool, but maybe you're not as cool as you really could be. Right. Sure. So I think that lifestyle, focusing on the lifestyle that the product helps support um, is, just a hu- it it's one of the things that we're so intentional about when we create content for for companies is maybe you don't even see much of the product you get a hint that the product is in there but the logo is not it's one of the things Joseph Edwards and I talked about when he was on the podcast you know Hipster Woodsman is that um he intentionally doesn't like logo full front and center of the of the still image to like you don't need the logo to be gl- hitting you right in the face to tell mm-hmm. the story of how that product fits
1: into the lifestyle or that moment. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, no, I, I agree. It's it, social media has changed that for sure. Mm. Um, mm. It, it, that's not the way television was done. <laughs> no,
0: no, um, not at all. Hey, um, take us through uh, the just kind of the 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 calls that yeah. um, and we're focusing on waterfall but the the calls and and then you and I had a really we started to have a good really interesting conversation on the comeback of the cutdown maybe mm-hmm. it's not so much of a comeback as it is just a reemergence of holy crap <laughs> you know this is awesome kind of thing yeah um, but for someone who's not familiar take us through your your call lines sure and. I think what would be helpful is if someone's trying to make a decision about, okay, I've got um, this J-frame single read, I got this cut down, I got this one, that one, like, what what are the best applications? What applications did you have in mind when you made them? Because one of the things that I hate is when you go to a website and there's like 90 different types of calls, you're like, oh, <laughs> okay, what what do I do sure. with this information?
1: Yeah. So... So to start with, I'll just say that, um, I'm not much of an application driven call guy. Mm. And by that, I mean, it drives me crazy to call something a timber call and something a field caller and open water. Oh, I'm so glad to hear
0: you say that. (laughs) Because,
1: because here's the reality. I mean, when that brown hen leaves her mama's nest, she has a quack in her voice and it stays the same until she gets to the bottom of the flyway and turns around and go back up the top. I mean, like duck sounds are duck sounds. They don't. They don't have accents like we do you know you can't tell a yankee duck from a, yeah. from a a southern duck until you cut them open and see how thick that layer of yellow fat is mm-hmm. um so so i don't i really don't like to categorize my calls by application or or, or the scenario that you would use them in because the reality is i i, I use a cut down a keyhole um everywhere that I hunt. I mean whether it's in Canada or whether it's in the woods uh, because there's always a time for loud and there's always a time for quiet and there's always a time for, you know, quacks and chatters and you know those those sounds the application of those sounds are applicable in all places just no matter when it's timing. Um and so so we make various calls um for different styles of collars that fit people so we make a couple different cut downs that's kind of the backbone of our line i sell 10 original cut cut downs to one of anything else Mm. um and that's that's our bread and butter that's my version of a cut old it's the same length tone board it's the same tone channel it's the everything's the same as what i try to accomplish when i cut an old it just has the cut built into it um we also offer what we call the 45 which is a slight variation on that cut down it's more of a blunt tip on the tone board and what i have found is that the difference in those tone boards one typically fits somebody better than the other and there's no way for me to tell you which one's going to fit you better you just got to try them both Mm -hmm. um and and as proof of that i would just say that you know when you speak, your voice has a sound to it, and people can hear your voice and they can say, "That's Joey." Um, I'm not even going to try your last name. That's okay. To my wife's far enough south, it. but um, um, I, if I had to, I'd probably say Joey Gaither. Um, but <laughs> yeah. that's just from that Southern Baptist roots. But yeah. um, but but my point is that so your voice has a it sounds a certain way, and my voice sounds a certain way. And people can hear the difference between the two of them. And that's because God gave us all diaphragms that are shaped differently, stretched differently. We have different size abdominal cavities. So there's a different amount of air that comes out and it's all coming through a unique human being's body. All right. So just in the same way that your voice sounds different than my voice, you're going to sound different in a duck call than I am. And so Mm -hmm. one's going to fit you different than another. And the reason we offer two keyhole cutdowns is because those tend to be the, the predominant thing. Those two tend to be the most popular ones that will fit somebody, one versus the other.
0: Um, Are you talking about the 45 versus the Brute?
1: No, the 45 versus the original.
0: Okay, I got you.
1: The, the Brute is an acrylic version of a cutdown, but it does not have a keyhole in the exhaust. So what we did was we built um, a back pressure into the call to make the brute a little more user-friendly for people who um, are just not accustomed to or not willing to learn how to blow a keyhole. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, now, what, what is the significance? And I'm really asking for me too, but what is the significance of the keyhole versus not? Um,
1: It's just, what a, does that do? What does that allow? It's just a bigger hole. So, so yeah. it's, it's like the difference in a, a two inch piece of PVC versus a one inch PVC. I mean, um, it, you know, it's, it just allows more air to come through how that affects a, a okay. duck call is all in back pressure. And so if you okay. know much about back pressure, like goose hunters build back pressure with their hands, um, yep. and, and so they, uh, especially like a speckle belly call, you know, you're, you're, you're making the call break mm-hmm. over mostly with your hands and, and a little bit with your mouth and your voice, but, but mostly you're affecting the air and where it, causes that read to break over well a keyhole has a straight exhaust all the way out and it's a large exhaust whereas most j-frame style calls and most of the kind of the traditional single read calls in the market they all have a tapered hole which which feels completely different when you blow it um they mm-hmm. operate the same and you and the, and the technical aspects of how you blow it and the fundamentals of how you blow the call are the same i mean you you, you still you still utilize The tool the same way, okay? But it's but it's like the difference between a free throw and a three point shot. I mean, it's just there's a little more oomph. It's just a different it's a different Mm -hmm. shot, you know. Um, And and so the keyhole allows for a little louder, um, more uh, rattle, more Mm -hmm. um, more power to go through it. I guess the 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 back Mm -hmm. pressure. Being built into the exhaust allows a person to get quiet on a call um, without it, without them feeling like that they're um, losing the, the sound in the call. Um, right. And so it, it, it just makes it, I don't know how to say that any different. It just makes it more user friendly. Um, gotcha. And so okay. that's what, you know, that's, that's what RNT did with the Mondo. They built a step down in their bore. Um, which gives it just a little bit of back pressure and we did, we did Mm -hmm. a similar thing with the brute, but we put more back pressure into it and, um, um, and, and, and and a few other things, but basically we, we tried to make it unattainable. We tried to make it more attainable for, um, a person who didn't have the ability to put that kind of air into a keyhole. Um, right. So that's a lot of details. Um, yeah.
0: Well, you're talking to one of them. <laughs> because I, I, yeah, I learned, I learned to call on an old Haydel's DR85, mm-hmm. and the way that the way that you can just kind of squinch that sound down at the end, just a little whine sometimes down at the end, do a little bouncing hen or, a, um, is just, you, you know, it goes to well. I'll leave that on the side. Anyway, um,
1: yeah, and so it's that, this the same. It's the exact same thing that I'm talking about. A double read, a double read is um, puts all the back pressure into the call for you, and mm-hmm. so it it trains your voice to to do that a certain way, you know. And and right. and that's why a guy your age that's blown a double read his whole life, he he has a really hard time going back to a single read. Oh um, yeah, um, because you've just trained your. It'd, it'd be sort of like if you you know, did nothing but shoot layups your entire life. And then all of a sudden somebody handed you the ball 35 feet from the basket. You'd be, you wouldn't have any idea what to do. You know I mean? It's a brain, it's a
0: brain thing, dude, because I've, I've picked up, I, I can, you know, I'm not a competition caller by any means. Um, but, I, you know, I can hold my own in the woods and I just, it's a brain thing that if I know there's only one piece of plastic in that call, I know in my, in my head, I can't make it do yeah, what, what I can make something with two pieces of plastic in it do. Yeah. My brain gets in the way. Which sure. is usually not a problem, but um it it is it is doing that. Um all right, so that's the brute so you would say that as far as cut downs go, the brute is an easier uh is an easier call to to yeah, work a, and master, if you're not it's, used it's to. it. little the,
1: more, yeah. It's a little more user friendly. Okay, that's the way All I'd right. say it. Yeah,
0: that that makes sense.
1: Um, I, you know, in the same way that, like, the best illustration I can give you is that a a 1978 model pickup truck without power steering or power brakes, it's just a little more cumbersome to drive than mm-hmm. a 2020 Chevrolet. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, like, yeah. they just <laughs> it just. It, yeah. that's just the way it is so um anyways <laughs> one
0: might be more fun you know yeah the old 68 bronco that you know that that's you, right. you, you I, I drove one of those man you feel like you had a full body workout <laughs> after you yeah, exactly you drive one of those exactly but um you and i started talking about um the old ps had it right man. that that be that that original ps old was just and you and i started talking about Kind of the history and the reemergence, and I don't know if it's fair to call it a reemergence because I don't think it ever went anywhere to begin with. Uh, that didn't go away to come back. I just think that more and more people are more aware of how doggone effective a cut down is, especially in the woods. Um, what are your What are your thoughts on that?
1: Um. Yeah. I mean, I I definitely agree. It's it's real simple. It's just about volume. Um, yeah. and people have been doing that all across the flyways for long, long, long time. Um, I mean, so it, it's, it, volume is just what, um, is, it, really what a cutdown's about. That's it. Mm. Plain and simple is volume. Um, there's power in volume. Um, and that's what a cut down brings to bear. And, so as you've seen kind of a reemergence of the popularity of them I, re, you're right reemergence is not really the the way to say it because pre 2010 2011 I mean it wasn't a thing and th- yeah. it wasn't a, a part of the, the the market I mean I remember trying to sell to stores and they were like it's a what and it's a what you know I mean that they yeah. didn't make any it didn't register it was a very regional small part of the world um thing that people did to an old an old product
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: so that so people knew about the ults and all the buyers of course you know they bought you know lots and lots of calls from the old family and they made more than just the d2 mm-hmm. um, they made predator calls and goose calls and squirrel calls i mean they made everything um, and so everybody knew about that but not many people knew about how people would modify these d2s to make them louder and to make them um, maintain a sound quality at those volume levels. Mm-hmm. Um, but but volume, the power and volume has never changed. I mean, that's why Main Street calling is a big deal. It's why yep. people on real foot been blowing metal reeds. You know, for, for a long, long time, 100 years mm-hmm. or more, duck hunters have been trying to figure out how to get a duck to hear them further away. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so...
0: I've got one of those old uh, Earl Denison with the brass reeds.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, my wife's grandfather left it to me before that's he cool. died. And, uh, oh, man, it's so cool.
1: That's neat. That's <laughs> It neat.
0: is. But you you know what I think, and so anybody that's listening to this and said, oh, well, I'll just get a call and blow it loud, and then I'll kill more ducks. It, look, you can mimic what a lot of people do on a stage or what somebody does in the tree standing next to you that's, oh, that's cool, I'll try that. It is less about what you do, as, and it's more about when you do it and being able to look at birds working and see what they react to because they don't want to hear the same thing all the time. And I've tried to tell that to people that if if you can be a better observer of how ducks are reacting, you'll kill more birds. You, you might not sound like a guy on Main Street, um, you might not sound as good as some of the guys back at camp, but if you can figure out what the bird wants to hear, cause I've, I've heard some horrible sounding hens too. <laughs> I mean, you, you hear them in the woods, you're like, Ooh, man, what she sounds like she'd been shot already. <laughs> um, but I've, I've told people for years that it's, it's not so much about being a perfect caller as much as it is looking at birds and how they react and being able to adjust to what they want to hear. That'll put them on the water. In yeah. Front
1: of you. Yeah. Yeah. No, no doubt. I mean, it's, I, I, everybody has a different school of thought about how they, they do things. I'm not, I don't particularly think that ultra realism is what matters in terms mm-hmm. of sound quality. It's timing. And, um, for whatever reason, there's certain sounds at certain times that work and, that yeah. doesn't necessarily have to be a sound that a duck makes, but, um, you know, you're not trying to con- necessarily convince the duck in the air that, um, that you're a live hen. You're trying to get them to come down there and see what's going on. <laughs> yeah, <So. laughs>
0: it, exactly. You, it's more about convincing them that they're making the right decision than it is changing their mind about anything. Mm-hmm. And so that's, you know, with the, with the little bit of time we got left, um, I, after watching a lot of your films, mm-hmm. um, your your guys' style of putting films together is very similar to ours. Um, you do a lot of journaling, um, a lot of really good voiceovers over really good-looking B-roll stuff, um, and I know the reason that we did it, and it's because when Brian and I started making Passionate Pursuit, we didn't want it to be... Um, a focus on any one person or thing Mm -hmm. we wanted the images and what you were seeing and what you were hearing to kind of speak for it. Um, and so I really, really, any guys listening that hasn't gone to RT like, and you go to the rolling thunder website, go to RT films. Um, I love the episode you guys did in Kansas with, or uh, Canada with your family. Yeah. um, When everybody was there, that was just a really, really cool episode. Mm. Um, but I think that you and I have the same type of depth and breadth of appreciation of the history and the heritage. Mm-hmm. Um because you reflect back so much on what it meant to your family and what it means to have your family together and what it and so I feel like hunting has changed a lot over the past several years maybe it's social media providing kind of instant information and data and gratification and you know everyone can be a can be a star overnight i I don't know but the more the hunting community gets spun up um, over new gadgets and the next brand new call and the next new magic bullets that's going to help you stack more greenheads in the boat than the guy next to you the more it goes that way the more i tend to go the opposite way and look just give me a dozen decoys a jerk string um and you know a a well-mannered retriever and i don't care what anybody else is doing um what what do you see today that in hunting that you like and what could you use a
1: lot less of um I, you know i see it's a two-edged sword. Um yeah. I definitely see a lot of stuff on social media people doing things for the wrong reasons. People doing things because they see other people doing them or because they think that they're cool or you know, there there's a lot of that. Um mm-hmm. you know, there's some good in that though too. Um I mean, what a better way to introduce somebody to our sport than for them to see it in a quality film and for them to see the lifestyle aspect of it together and think, man, I could really get down with that. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, that, that's a good thing. So while, while it can be a bad thing, it's also a good thing too. I mean, so it's, it's a two edged sword. Um, you know, what do I see? That's good. One of the things I think that's good about social media is that, um, there's a lot of corporate accountability for your brand. And so the, the brands who are not, um, not in it for the right reasons and not really don't care about the right things, man, they, they take a beating on social media. Mm. Um, um, and that's good. So there's kind of a sense, a corporate sense of you better do right because social media, you can say whatever you want, whenever you want. And there's not a police officer that's standing there waiting to lock you up, you know, freedom of speech in America is not a thing. <laughs> um, and so there, there's, there's some good to that, you know, like when people do something stupid, um, it tends to show up in a video, um, and people get chastised for it. I, I like, for example, um, and maybe, maybe this is not a good example, but it's the first one that comes to mind. A couple of years ago, there was a big brew hot, big lake over the boat racing deal mm-hmm. and, and a bunch of young teenagers and, and then a few adults, a few notable adults and everybody got into it and words and, and then there's this, you know terribly unsafe boat launch of 100 plus boats and i'm not gonna sit here and act like i've never been a part of that or that i wouldn't be a part of it tomorrow if i thought there was a limited ducks to, to be there but yeah. but but what happened out of that was a lot of public outcry of like holy crap we got to do something about this this is you know it's yeah. this sport's fun but we don't need anybody dying um and, and so there, there's some positives in social media sometimes it's too aggressive but there, there is some corporate accountability for you better behave because if mm-hmm. you don't behave, you know, everybody's got a camera on their phone and every, you know, sooner or later it's going to catch up with you. Um, right. That's about. it's a bad, uh, that's well, the best I can I, do for a positive spin on it. <laughs> well,
0: yeah, I, I think that there's enough people that would like, there's enough anti second amendment and enough mm-hmm. anti hunters that, are looking for new and innovative ways to restrict or if not eliminate the sport that we love without giving them ammunition. Yeah. Right. I, I sure. mean, there's a, they, they've got enough to do enough damage. Let, let's not help them out along the way.
1: Yeah, that's right. That's right.
0: Um, you know, I've, I've, I've hunted by Umeda. I've had the boat race to the blue line many times. Um, or have seen that boat race to the blue line many times, um, and I've been in the woods in in my little patch of public, which you know most of what I grew up hunting was public ground, uh, or not grew up on, but when I became a duck hunter was public ground, and you know guys will come set up a hundred yards from you. Well, think about that. Both sides think about it, and some of the best relationships that I have now are from people that I met that either I was set up first and they came in on me or I was trying to get to the place where they were and, you know, I, they got there first. Some of the best relationships that I've had started from, hey, man, we're hunting here. Don't set up there. Why don't you just come hunt with us? Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll all kill some because if you set up there and I set up here, neither one of us is going to kill anything. Right. Um, and so I, th- I think if if people – and not everybody's like this but i think if more people worried about not being first or not being best or not having the biggest stack or not i think i think it would be we would see a a just kind of a different outlook or a different result um because there's a lot of people that you know want to be back at the boat launch with the biggest pile and the biggest stack and it's just if, if that's what it's about, you are missing the whole thing, the whole thing. Yeah. And I think that's what I love about the way you guys do your films is you you focus on the lifestyle and the heritage and the camaraderie and the relationships and, um, and you do stack a bunch of birds too. So.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's a strong combination of the two. Uh, it, the hunts I remember the most are the ones we killed the most on, you know, you, you I yeah. mean, I don't remember a whole bunch of the bad hunts. You try to forget those. So I don't, I, it's, it's a combination of the two, you know, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to make it just about lifestyle and not about the killing. Cause man, I mean, the killing's fun. It's what you go out there for. Yeah. There's, there's easier ways to fellowship. You know what I mean? Oh but, yeah. But, 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 but it can't be just about one versus just about the other, because then you're just, then you're just kind of, you're, you're chasing your tail and, and, uh, yeah. I would say, I guess just kind of the, my last thought about social media and, and kind of the, the, I don't know, the next generation of hunters and, and the millennials or the whatever group you want to call them, but the people that have grown up hunting that didn't hunt pre social media. Okay. And there's a pretty Mm -hmm. strong contingency of them right now that are between 18 and, or, you know call them 16 and 30 mm-hmm. ish mm-hmm. about yeah, 30 35 something like yeah. that um um so that group of people is um you can either roll your eyes and talk about how great the good old days were pre-social media and what a bunch of snotty nosed um millennials with smartphones and GPS locators you can either be that curmudgeon or you can or you can figure out how to be positive and affect change with that group of people and so I I don't this is gonna come across like tooting my own horn and I don't intend for it to be a hundred percent tooting my own horn but I have to remind myself every day that if I'm the old guy the curmudgeon that's like man back we didn't used to have to race we just roll up in our hip boots and nobody be here at 615. Like if I'm that way, everybody that I want to listen to me just puts their fingers in their ears because yeah. nobody wants to listen to that guy. And so mm-hmm. my encouragement to kind of the broader community of people that are waterfowl hunters today is to not just turn your head and bad mouth everything, be negative, because No matter what you say negative about social media, you're not going to make it go away. And so you can say all you want to how the Internet has ruined duck hunting and you're not changing a thing. But on the flip side of that, you can be positive and and form relationships and interact with people that actually could result in changes. And so my encouragement, my challenge, everybody would be you know, put all your eggs in the basket of let's make this a better place instead of just bad mouthing and and being negative towards what we don't like. Um, And and that's really what we've tried to do with the film series. We've tried to bring together lots of killing and lots of the stuff that makes the killing special, family, faith, heritage, value system, uh, brands, you know, all, all those things. We've tried to bring all those things together into a, into a, a visual media that people watch and they go okay you know i, I can like we i want to be the bright spot on social media i guess let's put it that way mm-hmm. i don't i don't want to be the guy that's just talking about how the internet's ruined um, yeah and,
0: and i don't i don't think it has it's changed it um i think like anything else the internet and social media it's just a thing it, it's it you know if you use a hammer to fix a broken pipe you're going to have a bigger broken pipe Sure. um i think it's in how you use it and and more so it's the it's the perception on the other end um that if you're if you can be conscious about it um and use it for a good thing look i mean there's there's no way that from a ministry perspective we would reach the people that we're reaching without the internet yep, without no social doubt. media Me i mean either. i'd be stupid to say yep, that yeah um And so I, my thing is not, I don't think social media, media, I'm like you, I don't think social media or the internet has ruined, um, duck hunting, just like it hasn't ruined your business. You find a way to use it and leverage it to your advantage. Um, and the people that are going to use it improperly to say, look at me, I'm the, you know, I'm the greatest. I'm, whack them and stack them look at my mallard pinwheel or my pintail pinwheel picture which if i see another one of those i'm gonna vomit um (laughs) but (laughs) it's it's more in your motivations and how you use it i guess is the yeah is the thing so what um would anything new come you guys putting your head together and coming up with some 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 new ideas or products or yeah we've uh, got
1: a couple new things in the works um we've got a We've got a couple new potential duck calls that we're um, piddling with this winter. A couple people trying them out and doing Good. a little pre-marketing for them. Um, spoonbill call. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I wish there was a way to call a spoonbill. And I love shooting spoonbills. I do they're, too. <laughs> they're awesome. They do what yeah. you want them to do, and. Yeah they don't flare like a mallard does uh, I mean, they and work if good. you miss the first pass they'll come on and give you another <laughs> yeah, one exactly exactly <laughs> um, um but um yeah so i mean we've got a few things in the works um we've got a couple um ideas that we're bouncing around kind of for our 10th anniversary next year and some and some stuff along those lines so good um yeah you know, the future's bright um i, I think the future of waterfowling is bright i I mean, it being negative just I, I don't have to try hard to be negative. I, yeah. I it feels like when your transmission's going out and you're kind of slipping into neutral, like mm-hmm. that's that's kind of the way I get with being negative. If I'm not consciously trying to be positive about the future and about where we're going, both with our company and with the waterfowl industry as a whole, it's real easy to slip into that negativity. And yeah. um, and so I, I but but. But honestly, I mean, I I think that, um, there's a lot of good things going in, in the hunting industry around us and, um, you know, I'm, I'm proud to be a part of it and we've got some big things coming, you know, with our company too. So it's, it's a, it's a good time. Well,
0: you guys do a great job and I'm so glad that you were able to join us today. Is there anything that we left out that you wanted to make sure we covered?
1: Man, I don't think so. I would just, okay. I would just encourage everybody um, listening to um, be intentional about who you hunt with. And I think you said it just a minute ago, Joey, about your motivation. Like, are you going hunting with a group of people because you think that's the best chance to shoot a pile of ducks, or because um, it's people that you're gonna, you know, one day, 20 years from now, who are you gonna remember that you hunted? Um, take time to take your kids and make sure it's fun happy for them take time to take the people who introduced you i mean i i, I just i guess i'm a romantic um in in my heart and in my mind but i mean I, you know your dad's not going to be around forever your granddad's not going to be around forever so your kid's not going to want to be with you hunting forever and so when you have those opportunities choose them choose the things that last be intentional about those things, building memories building heritage and history, because those things make it sweet, not only for you, but for the next generation and for other people around you. Um, so
0: I, I can't add any more, <laughs> any more to that. That was perfect. Spence Alford. I appreciate it. Uh, brother. And I look forward to, uh, we're going to be coming through there soon uh, as we start to kind of get up to the top of the flyway and come down and, uh, would love to get together with you again and sure. and uh, just talk and see how things are going and um, appreciate you being on with us, man. No Thank problem. You so
1: much. Thanks, Joey. All right, buddy. Have a good day.
0: Spence, thanks again for joining us. I really appreciate the time you were able to to spend with us. And I really hope that our schedules will allow us to get together again. Uh, who knows, man, maybe even lean up against a, a tree somewhere and fellowship. I, I'd really like that. Uh, Once again, I asked you guys and gals, check out their links in the show notes below. Support Rolling Thunder. Check out their films. Pick up a few of their calls, especially you guys that that like to blow double reads. Feel like you're really proficient with a double read. Um, You need to check out their two-stroke. I'm telling you, you'll absolutely love their two-stroke. Guys, get online and check that out. Thank you again, Spencer. Let's uh, let's get together again soon, brother. We'd like to also thank Edge Duck Boats, Hatsu Outboards, Hunter's Blend Coffee, Retay Shotguns, Apex Ammunition, Sitka Gear, and now Traeger Grills for supporting a passion, for supporting passion of pursuit and Revelation Outdoors Waterfowl Ministry. Without the help of these companies, we could not do what we do. So I humbly ask you, our listening audience, to support the companies that support us. We appreciate it. Finally, don't forget to subscribe to the show. Leave a five-star rating wherever you listen. It helps us continue to keep climbing up the rankings. And if you wouldn't mind, please share the show with the hunting buddy. We'd really appreciate that too. That's all the time we have until next episode. You guys keep listening, keep sharing. We love you. And until next episode, bye-bye.